You're listening to the St. Mark's Podcast for May 8th, 2022, the fourth Sunday of Easter. Today's sermon was given by the Reverend Dr. Justin Crisp. It's based on John chapter 10, verses 22 through 30. Good morning. Happy Feast of Mayfair and Happy Mother's Day. I'm so fortunate. I'm blessed to have my own mom with me here this morning. Uh, my mom and dad drove up from Tennessee to work at the uh, to work the coffee with Father Peter's wife Jennifer Walsh and my wife Jewel Bickle. Uh, rumor had it that the coffee was a clergy cabal over there uh, outside Morrill Hall. My dad, ever the small businessman, though, wanted to rename the coffee the Coffee Hut. He thought it might need a little pizzazz. In any case, I'm so glad that they're here with me in church this morning. Happy Mother's Day, Mom. Uh, But as my mother would say, I don't want for you all to get a big head, but this is a sermon about how God uses Mayfair to redeem the world. (laughs) Now, the gospel, according to St. John, is composed of at least three parts. The first is the famous prologue, right? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God, and so on and so forth. It has those beautiful lines. The light shined in the darkness, and the darkness did not overcome it, and so on. Words much beloved of all Christians. The second part of the Gospel of John is known as the Book of Signs, and the third part of the Gospel of John is known as the Book of Glory. In our Gospel lesson this morning, we are towards the end of the Book of Signs and with it towards the end of Jesus' public ministry, which began when Jesus was about 30 years old and ended with his death at around the age of 33. John reorganizes his telling of Jesus' ministry around miracles, which he calls signs. That's how he narrates these roughly three years of Jesus' life. Now, the signs here are not, not signs as in literal signs, which point this way to strawberry shortcake, okay? It's not like that. Signs as in green means go, okay? We all know what green means, right? Green means go, red means stop, or a white clerical collar, even if it's, uh, you know, even if it's obscured by a raincoat, white clerical collar means priest, I can ask him where the bathroom is, uh, or a signature, a signature represents my consent to a contract, right? There's signs like that. There's symbols which signify something. That's what John is doing when John refers to these miracles as signs. He's saying these events signify something. And the signs in the Gospel of John include the changing of the water into wine at the wedding at Cana, the healing of the royal official's son in Capernaum, the healing of the paralytic at Bethesda, the feeding of the 5,000, his walking on water, his healing of the man who was blind, and the raising of Lazarus, his friend. And our reading this morning comes from a long discourse between these last two signs, between the healing of the man who was born blind and the raising of Lazarus. A long discourse in which Jesus is comparing himself to a shepherd who takes care of his flock. And the Jewish religious authorities are gathered around Jesus in the temple, and they ask Jesus, that's too generous, they tell Jesus, if you are the Messiah, tell us 
plainly. Don't keep us in suspense. If you are the Messiah, tell us plainly. And that's a reasonable enough ask, isn't it? I can't blame them. I would imagine many of us, I certainly have, have told God some version of that. Show yourself to me. If you're up there, tell me. Give me a sign. Make it plain. And so on. Jesus replies to these incredibly devout and learned religious men, I have made it plain. I have told you. This is what Jesus is saying. His signs or miracles have been for. The text says, I have told you, and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name testify to me. The works that Jesus does in his Father's name are supposed to testify to who he is in the same way that green means go. For John, Jesus' healings and miracles are not just supernatural feats of grace and power. They are deeds of power, to be sure, but they're deeds of power which tell us who Jesus is. The Son of the living God whose agenda is the healing, life, abundance, and flourishing of his creation. That's what we get from these signs. We learn who Jesus is, that he is the Son of the Father, and we learn who God is. We learn that God is a God of parties after weddings and healings of people's children and the feeding of countless multitudes. That's who God is. That's who Jesus is. And Jesus' works are signs of who he is in the way that coronation ceremonies end up signifying the power we vesting monarchs as heads of state in some countries or in the way that we use the exchanging of vows and rings to signify the bond of marriage. Jesus is saying, my signs have told you plainly who I am. If you haven't gotten the message, it's because you've forgotten how to read them. It's equivalent of forgetting that green means go. My favorite theologian, the Catholic Hans Urs von Balthasar, about whom I preach my Good Friday sermon, and I'm happy to say I think Pat Norton in the, in the back here behind the Raridas in the choir is a budding scholar of Hans Urs von Balthasar. I've won some of you over to this guy. But Balthasar has another idea which I just love, and it's that God longs to be visible. That this is one of God's deepest desires. God desires to be visible in the world God has made. And this is part of what the incarnation, God's becoming flesh in Jesus of Nazareth, was about. Balthazar doesn't get this, he doesn't invent this idea out of nothing. He gets it from the Gospel of John, from that famous prologue. The one that begins, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God. The last sentence of John's prologue says, No one has ever seen God. It is the only Son, Himself God, who is close to the Father's heart, who has made Him known. See, Jesus, because He's God made flesh, is God made something we can see. God made something we can touch. Something presumably his disciples could have smelled from time to time. 
Jesus was God made visible. And this, Balthazar says, is God's agenda also for the church. Because God is by nature invisible. And Jesus is now, as we will celebrate in a few weeks here in this season of Easter, ascended. What it means that Jesus is ascended is that he is no longer with us in the body as he was with his disciples in the first century. No longer face to face in the way that I am with Clancy here. And so the church's reason for being, its only justification and purpose is to make God, to make Jesus visible in the world. Visible, tangible, concrete, manifest. That's the reason God has a church. Balthazar says that because Jesus is God, we can, as he puts it, read God off of Jesus' life. We can know in the things that Jesus does and the things that Jesus says what kind of God God is. We can know that this God is not a serial killer, right? We can know that this God is not indifferent to the plight of human beings. We can know that this God is a God of love, mercy, and forgiveness because Jesus is God, and so we can read God off of Jesus' life. And Balthazar says we ought to be able to read Jesus off of the church. And he doesn't mean the church is some pie in the sky, something or other. He means the church is in those of you who are sitting in these pews right now. And the generation after generation after generation of people who have sat in these pews. The church is Jesus' body in the world, not in a metaphorical sense. The ministries of the church and of this church, St. Mark's, are purposed by God to be channels through which his grace and power can flow in order to change people's lives. This is preeminently so in word and sacrament, right? We're about to celebrate the Eucharist. We celebrated two baptisms in the past two Sundays. But also, in all the ornate linens, which are atop this altar, which are lovingly pressed by the flower guild, in the flowers here, which are going to be broken down into arrangements and delivered to the homes of people who are celebrating something or have suffered a loss, in the, all of the ministries which are hosted in all of the buildings of this campus, in glasses of water poured for families before the funerals of their loved ones, in oil smeared on the heads of those who are sick and lying in hospital beds, and so on, and so on, and so on. These things, these material things, these things which we can taste and touch and see, they are things which change people's lives, and they are ways that God is made visible. Ways that God reaches quite literally, sometimes shockingly literally, into our lives to touch us. And God made himself visible in and through Mayfair. That's the point. That was Mayfair's reason for being. That's why we did it. That was his God-given purpose, to make the Lord Jesus visible that he might be glorified in all of his works. I was texting late one evening last week with uh, one of your two Mayfair co-chairs, George Wright. 
And George was texting me about a beautiful outpouring of love and labor by a member of the Mayfair team to a community partner here in New Canaan. George said that the goal of that Mayfair team member making this offering of love and labor to this community partner was that someone, and I'm quoting from George here, might find serious relief from his troubles in the fellowship of near strangers who materialized as friends. I thanked George the next morning. I said, thanks, you just gave me my sermon. That's the Mayfair story. Strangers materializing as friends. I'm going to underline that word, materialize. These were people we could see, people whose hands we could hold, people who we could move. I'm looking at you, Cindy. People who we could move couches with, right? I'm going to tell you all what I tell our lay pastoral caregivers when I'm training them with Charlene Berardino. When Charlene and I are training them to go visit the sick and the homebound and the lonely here in St. Mark's, what I tell our pastoral caregivers goes for you as much as them. You all have no idea the countless myriad ways God has used what you have done. This weekend, this week, the last six months, the last year, you have no idea how God has used it to change people's lives. But to give you some idea, I just want for you to entertain this thought. I was taking my parents out to dinner, more like my parents were taking me and Jewel out to dinner, thanks mom and dad, uh, this past week at a restaurant in Norwalk and we saw a parishioner um, and this parishioner was, uh, told, told us unprompted that she had her first kiss at Mayfair when she was a kid. <laughs> and what do you bet some lucky seventh grader had the same experience this past Friday? right after they got off the cobra and they were trying not to vomit. <laughs> that kid's life was changed, hopefully for the good. I would bet you some middle schooler met their future wife or husband on Friday night, whether they knew it or not. I bet that Mayfair gave a graceful way for someone to part with a cherished family heirloom in a way that they thought the gift would continue to give to others and which consoled them at the loss of the person who gave it to them. I bet that sometime this week, someone carried furniture or polished silver or sorted books next to someone whose life is falling apart, but they were consoled by their company and by the fact they had a common purpose. I bet that some slice of holy smoker brisket sent someone in rapture up to the third heaven I'm only slightly exaggerating. I said I was only slightly exaggerating at the nine o'clock and Susan Boston started shaking her head and said, you're not. So I think she actually was, Jeff, caught up to the third heaven. Um, the point is, this is material, tangible stuff that God uses to change people's lives. And all that before we even begin to talk about the money you've raised, which is going to be gas in the engines of the ministries of this church and of the local, national, and international organizations which its grant funds support, about all of which one day, on the last day, from the vantage point of heaven, we're all going to be able to read Jesus off of Mayfair. 
we will be able then to see, as we can only now do through a glass darkly, as St. Paul says, we will then be able to see how God has used this to change people's lives. What a day that will be. The great theologian of the English Reformation, the closest thing that Episcopalians, members of the Church of England, and all of its children, the closest thing the Church of England has to a magisterial theologian, like John Calvin, Martin Luther, is this guy named Richard Hooker. Nobody ever reads him. I kind of like that about him. He's kind of disappeared into the history of the church, which allows him to point to Jesus more easily, I think, because he's not such a celebrity. But Hooker says this about the church. He says the, the church is a supernatural society. And I am no Richard Hooker, but I'll give you my latest, hot off the presses. Mayfair is a supernatural fair. And any time we ask God to make himself visible to us, to prove his existence to us, to make himself plain, I think it's as though God points to all of that, to all of this, to all of you, even to me, and says, I have. Amen. find more sermons on our website, www.stmarksnewcanon.org.